Let me read a little bit from Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa, and Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. Let me give you context. God's people, occasionally in the Old Testament, would decide to disobey the Lord. You with me? They would... They would walk in the ways of the, of the nations. They would do what's normal in the world. And when they did that, they were violating a covenant they had with God. When God rescued the Israelites out of Egypt, he took them to the mountain out in the wilderness, and they had like a wedding ceremony. They had a covenant-cutting ceremony where God said, I'm going to be your God and I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to provide for you and none of the diseases of the nations are going to come upon you and you're going to have unusual blessing and protection because I'm going to be with you and I'm going to be for you. That's my part. But you have a part to play. You need to make me your God. You need to walk in my ways. You need to obey these commands I'm going to give you today and they are not a burden. They are not impossible. You can do it. The things I'm asking you to do, you can do it. And if you'll keep me first and you'll walk in my ways, I'm going to be for you. But if you rebel against me and if you worship other gods and you break all my commands and you forget me and you forget the one who made you, who saved you, who brought you out and who's bringing you into the land of promise. If you forget me, if you betray me, if you rebel against me, you'll make me your enemy and I'll fight against you and I'll hand you over to the nations. So help me. All these diseases are going to come on you. So help me, so, so help you more like. The land's not going to produce crops for you. You won't have favor with people. Your life's going to be horrible if you betray me and rebel against me. I'll withdraw my protection from you. So this is the situation. They did it in the 8th century. They get thrown out into exile. Then they get restored back. Then again in the 5th century before Jesus... They do it again, and they get thrown out into exile. And now we find them coming back home, and Nehemiah is actually working for the pagan king. He's one of the ones who hasn't gone home to live, and now his friends, his Jewish friends, who've been taken back home to the land of promise, are coming to him, and they're giving him a report. Have I caught you up? Are you, are you caught up? So I asked these friends who visited from Judah about the Jews who had returned from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, things are are not going well. Things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. You know the difference between trouble and disgrace? You can be going through a hard time, but when you feel that going through a hard time has also destroyed your hopes and dreams, that's different, isn't it? Mm -hmm. They didn't just have trouble, they had disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And we hear that and we go, oh, that's too bad. Because I don't think we understand the significance in the ancient world of a city having 
gates and walls. In the modern world, none of our major cities have walls and gates, do they? You don't go to Chicago and go, I had to wait for like three hours to get through security to get into the city. Now, we do have some walls and gates as it relates to nations, don't we? When you cross to Mexico, you have to go through security. When you come back, it's significantly more security. When you go into Canada, you have to go through security. When you come back, you have to declare what you're bringing with you. Because every nation knows if you just let anybody in, it's not going to go well for you. It's going to erode the security, the, the ability of your citizens to just live normal lives and not freak out and constantly be on defense and anxious. And in the ancient world, cities were like that. If you didn't have walls, you can't regulate who comes in and who comes out. And so then either you'd have to have your soldiers on high alert at all times, standing all along the perimeter on high alert, and that means they can't live a normal life, or you'll just be full of anxiety, or whoever wants stuff and whoever's strong gets to take stuff. So if you want a city to have peace, it has to have a proper defense system. Your body has a defense system. You know this, right? What's the biggest organ on your body? Don't say your butt. Don't say it. That's your biggest muscle. Your skin. Who said that? Was Matt Matthew? Extra credit for you, sir. Five brownie points. Give him a brownie. I mean, not right now, but later. <laughs> yeah, where is she? Yeah, give him a brownie. No, you don't have to. Do what you want. Your skin, and your, without your skin, when you have a cut, if you had a cut on your arm, and I said, hey, let's go swimming in the Nanakoke River, and you had a cut on your arm, do you think you should do it? Why would that be a bad idea? Oh, little Ann says there's nasty bacteria in there, and I have stories, but I won't tell them to you because they're not appropriate. That's much safer, isn't it? The ocean, the salt, much, much safer. It's naturally chlorinated by that chemical process. But the nanocoke is brackish. And your skin is your protection against foreign invaders. You also have another thing that is, in, is active in your blood at all times called your immune system. And your immune system is trained to do one thing. Recognize what belongs and what doesn't belong. Your immune system knows what's me and what's not me. Well, that's not me. Kill it. Kill it with fire. Right? You get a cold and your body goes to work going, whoa, who are you? You get a fever as a part of your response. You get some fatigue as the resources are being aimed here. You might have some inflammation. You might have increased redness surrounding a spot where there is a, something being fought as your blood flow is increasing and your body is showing extra care to keep what doesn't belong out. So just as your body has an immune system, every ancient city had a defense system to keep that which was not good and not healthy out and to protect what should be here. Otherwise, and here's the point I'm trying to make, without boundaries, life suffers. And when God's people disobeyed the Lord, one of the consequences was the enemies came and destroyed the boundaries, making them defenseless and making it impossible for them to really thrive. You can't conduct business. You can't have a happy family life when there's no defense system properly built and maintained in the city. So when Nehemiah finds out that the people have gone home, but they're not really thriving. Are, are you with me? 
Is it possible to be in God's will and not thriving yet? Is it possible to be where God puts you but not how God wants you? So he finds out the state of God's people, that they're in disgrace and they can't really thrive yet because the city hasn't been properly established. You could, you could rebuild the temple. What would be the point? If you don't have a wall and you don't have gates and you don't have sentries, any restoration work you do, any business you do is at threat. It's just going to be taken by the strong as soon as it's built. So this is step one. We have to restore the walls. And that, that's... This is like, when you come to Jesus, here's one of the walls. If you're in a deep dating relationship with someone who does not share your faith in Jesus, break up with them, please. If your best friends are still on drugs and you're trying to get off drugs, you can break up with your friends. But Tim, but I love them and Jesus loves them. I know that. I know that. But I know this. You will become like the people you run with. He who runs with the wise becomes wise. A companion of fools, I'm just quoting the Bible now, a companion of fools suffers harm. If you yoke yourself to fools, you won't help them. You think you will, you think you will. Oh, my word. You know how many women have made their lives miserable hell trying to date someone as a form of saving someone? Ah. All right, okay, enough of that. When I heard, Nehemiah, when, the, when, when he hears the state of God's people, that, that, their, that their lives are a shambles and that there's no walls and no gates, it says this. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. I sat down and wept. In fact, for days, days, for days, I mourned. I fasted. That means nothing. No food, just water. I don't know. When, when was the last time you were so disgusted and so heartbroken over the state of the world that you intentionally said, I'm not eating food? I don't know. When's the last time you got news so bad you said, I'm not, I'm not eating food now? So for days, he sits down on the ground, only drinking water, I think. He doesn't really specify. No, he's not eating food. And he prayed. Mourned, fasted, prayed. For days. Now, I'm just telling you right now, there's some churches where if you did that, we would say, oh, they've lost, they've lost their vision of God's goodness. Oh, but w- w- they're living on the wrong side of the cross. Are you with me? Yeah. If it's not encouraging, it can't be God. But this is a problem that because no one took it seriously enough, no one fixed it. No one owned the problem. No one was willing to look at what was broken and grieve over it. My uncle said this years ago, and I've been quoting him ever since. He said, most of us don't change until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. 
That was a really disgusting quote to me. Yeah. Basically, what I heard him saying is, we're stupid. <laughs> but here's Nehemiah. As soon as he hears the information, oh my word, God's people aren't thriving. God's people are not okay. It's not his fault, guys. It's not his fault, but he makes it his problem. You know how easy it would be to be like, that's what they get. Sucks to be them. Or say, well, if they would just do this, this, and this, but stay okay in my heart. Instead, he, he identifies with God's people. If you left, come back, by the way, to the conversation I'm having with you. Instead, he identifies with God's people and he lets it bother him to the point where he says, no, it's not okay. It's not okay. And he takes to prayer and this is what he prays. Oh Lord, God of heaven, great and awesome God who keeps covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we, we, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean we? I hear whispering. Why am I hearing whispering during the sermon? We, we have sinned. Not, not they have sinned. Not those idiots over there. Again, it's not his fault, but he's making it his problem. We have sinned. Against you. Quick side point. Modern people, even the modern church, we are are against sin almost 100% because of how it affects the sinner. Nehemiah is concerned that the sins are actually being committed against God. How dare you treat God that way? Not just how dare you treat yourself that way, because sin does hurt the sinner like crazy and everyone whose life is touched. But Nehemiah sees something very deep and biblical. What about how you're treating God? Honestly, guys, until how I'm treating God begins to be the biggest factor in my heart, I doubt we're going to change. I couldn't quit smoking till God was involved, not because God changed me, but because sinning against God mattered to me. Sinning against me didn't matter to me because I didn't care much about me. In fact, I had to learn how to love me after I learned how to love him and realized how much he loved me. But learning how to love me came later. It come, actually, it should come later. Learning how to love God is priority one. So... I confess that we've sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We've sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations you gave us through your servant Moses. Remember what you told your servant Moses, God. If you are unfaithful to me, I'm going to scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth... I'm going to bring you back to the place I've chosen for my name to be honored. 
The people you rescued by your great power, your strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. That's an interesting job, right? So if you're the cupbearer, what's your job? They hand you what the king was about to drink. And if it's poisoned, we'll know. That was his job. His job all day, every day is to take the drink and, and go, I think it's safe. So he prays this prayer and the next thing we read is that he goes before the king looking sad. Now looking sad in the presence of the king is not a smart or safe thing to do. We just don't understand this. Like we grow up, we're in a world in which slandering our, our, our political leaders is our American God-given right. Oh, yes. It isn't godly, nope. but it is our culture. Yep. Even in the church. But in the ancient world, you try that stuff, you die. In fact, and by the way, please honor your leaders even if you disagree with them. I managed to honor Bill Clinton. I managed to honor George Bush. I managed to honor President Obama. I managed to honor Trump. Please honor our current president as well. Please. Not because you like his politics, but because he stands in a position established by the Lord and how you respond to him will affect how God responds to you. Okay. So, he is in the presence of the king, and he is disheveled, and he's a wreck. And he knows it's risky showing up that way. But he's already sought God for favor. God, grant me favor. God, grant me favor. Because guess what? He's owned the problem. He sought God about the problem. Now he wants to set his hand to the plow of actually doing something about it. Couple things. Some things aren't going to change until somebody gets upset. Like upset for a while, deeply upset, upset, and not just stop with complaining about it. Owning the problem is not the same as whining about the problem, y'all. Complaining about the problem does nothing but make the problem worse. But owning the problem might make you miserable. Then take the problem to the Lord till you've gained his heart about it. And then the next step is to say, okay, God, here we go. I don't want this problem. I don't feel qualified for this problem. I don't feel gifted to handle this problem. But no one else is doing it. So here we go. Help. Grant me favor. And he goes before the king. And the king says, hey, uh, why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick. You must be deeply troubled. Verse 3 of Nehemiah 2. Long live the king. How can I not be sad? The city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins. And the gates have been destroyed by fire. And the king asked, well, how can I help you? Nehemiah 2. Verse 4, with a prayer to the God of heaven, I replied. Now, how many of you think he stopped the meeting and said, hold on, uh, let me, 
I'll be back. I got to pray. And then he got on his face and he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Then after he was done with that, then he sang a few songs. And then he had a couple scripture readings. And then after that, he said his requests. And then after that, he had a time of silence where he listened to the still small voice of the Lord. And then, ooh, and then he got a nudge and a feeling and a gut. And he checked with three friends for confirmation before he took action. And then he came back to the king and said, okay, I did the stuff and here's what I want. No, it was like two seconds. I prayed to the God of heaven and then I said, I love that. So like throughout your day, you can pray to the God of heaven and then take your next move. I prayed to the God of heaven and then I. I prayed to the God of heaven and then I. It's not out loud. It's invisible. It's a little ting, quick prayer. I prayed to the God of heaven and then I replied, if it pleased the king and if you're pleased with me, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Long story short, the king says, yes, what do you need? And he says, I need people, I need money, I need resources, I need lumber, I need workers, I need help. So he funds, Nehemiah gets favor. He seeks God's favor and he gets it. He owns the problem. He seeks God's favor. And then he gets help from the secular authorities to help him build the kingdom. What if we did that? What if we worked within the structures of our culture that are, in our mind, not even God, maybe even against God, to help fund and, and like legislate and serve in the kingdom work instead of just going to the tiniest little group, our little people of God that we know. Not just the people of God, but only the people of God in our little church. What if we went, are you hearing me? Right? What? I'm just saying. He owned the problem. He prayed about the problem. And then he went and he got assistance and legislation to help him fix the problem. And it says, and the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. It's 1204. We're going to see how this little message, how this little series goes. But I would just suggest to you that without healthy boundaries in your life, without healthy boundaries in your life, without the ability to say no to that which God tells you to say no to, and the ability to say yes, without walls and gates, you may belong to God, but you won't be able to become the thriving, whole, healthy life that God intended. And so a lot of the work of God in people's lives is rebuilding. Sin's done a number on us. And some, people who, some of us who know God, we've gone into exile. We haven't done it God's way and it's broken down our life and we need, we need to rebuild. And some of us, this theme isn't about us so much personally as about the people around us or the lives affected by us or that we care about. And we need to hear the word that says, stop whining and complaining about it. Stop judging and standing in separation from it and actually grieve, actually weep, actually fast and pray and begin to own the problem, confess the sin to God who is the main one who matters. And then begin to say, okay, God, now what? I don't feel qualified. I don't feel gifted but somebody's got to do something. Here I go. Somebody's got to do something. The crazy thing about this book of Nehemiah, everything's waiting on leadership. Everything's waiting on leaders. And you go, well, what qualified Nehemiah to be the leader? Nothing. He was a cupbearer. What qualified him? 
He said yes. He cared. He owned the problem. He sought the Lord. And he stepped out. By the way, this guy would make a terrible pastor and a fantastic administrator. Just as you, as you read the book of Nehemiah, just ask yourself how people are feeling around him. There's one scene coming up in one of the chapters. It's, my, it's one of my favorite scenes where he finds these people after he's finally done with all the work and he finds these people that are going straight back into the sins he just got them out of. And it says this, I sternly spoke to them and I beat some of them and I pulled out their hair and I called down curses on them and I made so-and-so get out of my presence. Cool, help, run away. Then I found people camped outside the city trying to do business on the Lord's day and I warned them, if I catch you here again, I will lay hands on you. And I thought, is that charismatic hands or... We're throwing down, I think. We're throwing down. This is throw down. Like, yeah, he broke the pool, pool cue, and he's like, here we go, I'm going to stab you. Oh, I think I'll obey, I think I'll honor Sabbath. I'm really in the mood to honor the Sabbath, Nehemiah. Let's pray. Go ahead and stand. Prayer team can come on up. Are there any words of knowledge before I close in prayer? There are. What do we got? I got you. Um, just for anybody that, that needs physical healing, um, I felt that on me all, all morning. So, you got something? Um, this morning, I, well, long story short, if anyone has been diagnosed or knows someone that's been diagnosed with an enlarged heart, would you please come forward and let me pray? Interesting. I know. Anything else, guys? Cool. All right, let's pray. Repeat after me. God, I belong to you. You love me. I am in covenant with you. You are for me. You are not against me. I resolve to do your will. I will sow to please the Spirit. I will put to death the acts of the flesh. I am expecting a good harvest. I'm seeking your face. Help me rebuild the walls. Establish healthy boundaries. I belong to you. I belong to you. God, you love me. God, you love me. God, you love me. Amen.